Welcome to the Faith Today podcast, conversations inspired by Canada's Christian magazine. Joanna LaFleur is a podcaster, a TV host, and a communications consultant who helps the church communicate well. As we've all gone so digital lately, she's been busy. I'm Karen Stiller. I spoke to Joanna about what is the very least churches can be doing now and as we move forward. This interview is also in the September-October issue of Faith Today, which you can subscribe to now for free. Joanna, please tell us first how you became Canada's digital church guru, which is what I've named you. (laughs) I don't know if you go by that, but that's my name for you. Oh, my. Thank you. I'm laughing because... Uh, thank you. That's that's generous. Um, the story goes, I call it the big black box story. I um, came out of my undergrad in business and communications and was at, I went to Wilfrid Laurier University in Waterloo, Ontario, which is a very tech-centered area. So I was working in a tech company, coming out of school, doing marketing and public relations work. And the main product we sold, it doesn't really matter what it, what it did, but what it looked like was a big black metal box. A company would buy stacks of these to read things on the internet. So one day the graphic designer pulls me over to his desk and he's got this technology product up on his Photoshop. He's trying different colors and effects. And he's saying, Joanna, how do you like this? How about this? He says, what can I, you know, he's trying different colors and he says, what can I do to make this look sexy? And I'm like, (laughs) well, there's nothing you can do to make this look sexy. It's just a big black box. And in that moment, in that cubicle of that tech company, I really felt like the Lord spoke to me quite loudly inside of myself and said, what are you doing? You know, you don't care about the big black box. Nothing immoral about it or sinful about it or anything, but but you know that you're supposed to use your skills in marketing and communications and technology, all this stuff that you're doing right now, you know that you're supposed to use it to serve the church. So what are you doing? And it was this startling moment that kind of I didn't know what to do with at the time, but very soon after the church I was attending in Waterloo invited me to come on staff part-time. So I sort of waded into the waters of a ministry role where I was half-time on pastoral staff and half-time still doing marketing and tech. And from there, really began to develop what came into a a full-time career in in, um, ministry and church work to do with communications, marketing, and digital. And so I've been kind of riding that wave of of drastic change since I would say since the introduction of the iPhone in 2007 2006 wow the world has so drastically changed and ministry and christian life has so drastically changed as a result um and i've been kind of working and serving in churches whether on staff or in a consulting role since that time and so it's um it's kind of combining academic education. You know, I did a, a master's at, in theology at Wycliffe and and that side of things, but with the practical skills of what do we actually do with these technologies in our hands? How do we navigate a digital world uh, as Christians? So Joanna, I feel like your work has given you and all this experience a uh, kind of a for such a time as this moment <laughs> for Joanna mm-hmm. uh, and the church, because obviously COVID and all that it required of churches made for a massive shift. And our church, for example, here in Ottawa was not online prior to the pandemic. And then, you know, within a week, Mm -hmm. we were broadcasting online. And I think that was the story for a lot of Canadian churches. So tell me what that experience has been like for you and your work. 
Oh my goodness. Well, <laughs> it's um I mean on the professional side, it's it does feel like a timely thing, you know, it often leads me to prayer to be honest. I like, "Oh Lord, why have you put me here? What am I supposed to do? How can I help all these churches?" Um because I mainly I'm not five steps ahead. I'm usually only one or two. You know, the pandemic has changed things so drastically, so quickly. We've gone through probably 10 or 15 years of change that happened in about 2 months. As you said, you weren't even online. I don't know exactly what you mean by not online. Maybe you had a website or something, but oh yeah, so streaming the service. Yeah, and you weren't really broadcasting anything online. And suddenly that happened overnight. Everybody had to do it. We were forced to, and that leads us now on the other side as we come out the other side of pandemic life when that, you know, Lord willing is going to end soon. Um, what do we do? You know, do we go back to just in person? Do we do only online? Do we do some sort of hybrid of the two? And, you know, the majority of my work, I try to, to offer a lot of good free advice <laughs> because most churches can't afford to pay for it. And so I try to find creative ways through sponsorship and other things to offer content, tutorials, podcasts, things to equip churches and ministry um, thinking people. Uh, but of course, uh, some of it is, you know, paid consulting work that I do with churches and just trying to help as many as we can because nobody went to seminary for this. The the pastor of your local church was not trained in this and, and few were. Uh, I mean, nobody trained for a pandemic. Right. And so we're all trying to, to figure it out really and, and help each other. Tell me so what some of the common mistakes are that maybe churches, let's say specifically churches when they're streaming a service online, and we will give them lots of forgiveness <laughs> and lots of, you know, we all like I watched my husband learning as he went literally, you know, on the fly every week and it getting better every week because you learn from your mistakes. But yeah. what are some of the common growth areas? Oh my. Well, I think the biggest overarching thing that people are learning again and and lots of grace in the beginning, but as this matures, as media matures, what we'll learn quickly is that what works live doesn't like live in a room, I should say, what works in person doesn't actually work as well online and vice versa. The kind of thing you might create for an online community is a very different kind of a format than what you would do in person. And so I think one of the biggest mistakes is trying to mash those two things together. Uh, it's it's usually one of the audiences will lose. So if you're having a live in-person service and you're just trying to put a camera up and bring that onto the internet, it won't be a very good experience for those people watching online. And if you try to do something online and then, I don't know, broadcast it on a screen in a room full of people, it obviously doesn't really work either. So I think in the same way, if we go back in time, we can imagine when people move from radio to television, you know, these, these voices on radio started being seen on TV. At the beginning, I think of the Johnny Carson who created essentially a radio set with a film camera. What I mean by that is there's a mic, literally, and even to this day, a lot of these guys still have mics. They don't work, but there's a metaphorical mic on their desk and they have a desk and they have a guest who sits beside and they have a music, a live musical thing. And it's all coming out of radio that was trying to translate. And over the years, that has adjusted and adapted into a television format. 
most shows don't look like radio anymore. And in the same way, when we moved to television to internet and like YouTube style shows, the format first was just taking what worked on TV and translating it to YouTube. But then quickly people are realizing that that doesn't work either. So maybe I'm I'm belaboring the point, but but we have to think of the format in which people are experiencing the content. And that is really the biggest thing that I think people beyond, hopefully by now a year in, people have figured out how to plug in a camera and get the internet to work and figure out how to get the audio going. But then we want to think more strategically or holistically about what we're creating and is the content for the audience that we're trying to reach in the place that they're watching it. Yeah, that's really helpful. Another example of that really quickly would be if you're in a a church with sort of a Pentecostal charismatic kind of a preacher, for example, who's, who's almost larger than life. Some of us don't like that format. You know, they don't want that style. But if you're in that style of church, um, it's very off-putting if that guy is using that same energy and level and almost yelling at you, but you're sitting in your living room or you might even still be in bed on a Sunday morning. You're watching it on your phone. It feels uh, a juxtaposition between where you are experiencing it and what the person is doing through the camera. Yeah. <laughs> and so you want to think of where people are watching and how they're how they're engaging with the material. So Jesus is still good. <laughs> the gospel is still the gospel, but how we present it needs to change. Well, speaking of people still being in bed, um, <laughs> do you think churches are going to have to do some work to woo us back? I mean, it is pretty easy to sit hmm. in in an armchair on a Sunday morning. Oh, man. Well, there's lots that this could be a whole episode onto itself. I think this is a huge question and and something I'm deeply concerned about. I hope a lot of others are prayerfully concerned about because what I think a lot of people have found is actually they liked, as you've said, they liked it at home. It works better for them. And the reason they chose to come on a Sunday morning was the connection and community. But if you come back and you can't touch people and you still have to wear a mask and you're at 25% capacity, like what is the point? For most people, what is the point of coming back? Especially if um, there aren't children's programs in a lot of churches because they they haven't figured out yet how to do that in a sort of health and safety kind of a way. But assuming all that goes back to normal, um, I think that people who want their children in church those people with young children, they're going to be coming back because the children have really missed out over the last year. It's really hard to translate anything meaningful in discipleship and teaching for children online. It's People are doing what they can, but there's just a limit to what you can do You know, with attention spans and without interacting with a five-year-old in person. It's really challenging. And so I know a lot of people who have children are really feeling that for their kids. But I think if we're talking about you know, a, a Gen Z millennial generation of adults uh, or even, even gen, uh, you know, even uh, older Gen X and boomer adults who are living their life. I think a lot of them have found some critique of the, of the church and the problems of church, and uh, they're not sure if they want to come back. And in some cases, I think rightfully so. If the church was not compelling in its mission and gospel message of, you know, engaging people with their real issues, their real needs, and addressing pains of people, the human condition, uh, you know, you can you can get that a lot of other places without going to church on a Sunday. So I think a lot of people we're seeing statistically won't ever return. Um, that doesn't mean they won't return to Jesus, like to yeah. their faith in Christ, but 
but I don't, I don't, I do think there will be a massive drop off and we need to address what to do then with these people who have said church in its format doesn't do it for me anymore, but I still love, love the Lord. So I, I need to figure out a new way to engage. It's a huge conversation. Um, and I'm watching it very closely myself in terms of uh, what churches are doing in Canada and U.S. and the U.K. about that. Yeah, it is it is so interesting, and it will be really fascinating to unpack it in a year or two from now and see where we are. Because I agree, yeah. like when I imagine, um, you know, people who are maybe just hanging on by a thread, maybe before the pandemic, or you know, kind of sometimes thinking, "Why do I do this?" Well, I can see that maybe the church might have lost some forever in terms of Sunday morning attendance. Do you think that then, and this is a huge question, and you can say, I don't know, Karen, stop. (laughs) But do you think that the Sunday morning come for 10 a.m., you know, and stay there for two hours thing has been changed forever because of this? There will be people who always want that. Um, But I think what, what, um, you know, the, the era gone by of when in my, in my generation would have been the show Friends, for example, or maybe I mean, whatever show, name the show that everybody had to be home on Thursday night at eight o'clock to watch that show. And if you didn't get it or you didn't tape it, you would use tapes still. <laughs> so if you didn't tape it, uh, you missed it until reruns, I don't know, sometime later, and you couldn't talk about it with anybody the next day at school or at work. And obviously those era, that era is long gone where people are expected to come at a certain time and place to receive the content that they want. It is expected now that you can get the content where you want it, when you want it. So that, of course, translates to church, um, having one time of the week and only one time. It was already not working because of broken families, um, you know, single parent households, um, shift workers, commuting and traveling both for work and for fun was increasing so much that, you know, a Sunday morning and also, you know, in the last generation, everything opened on Sundays. And so there was lots, there were lots of other things to do on your Sunday morning and some very valid. So if only Sunday at 10 a.m., if that was the only time you could get this content, it was increasingly a challenge before the pandemic. And now after, yeah, I think people are going to expect that they can get that content. And when I say content, maybe what I mean by that is some sort of teaching, um, some sort of experience of of worship, um, perhaps Eucharist or communion. There are some real challenges to that. But having that only offered at one time in one place, I think churches at the very least need to be more creative in when they offer, like maybe the same thing is offered again on a Wednesday evening or a Tuesday morning, or I don't know, other times of the week, if, if it's the in-person and then offering uh, the online thing. I mean, one of the things too, is that of course, in the past, if you had a favorite preacher, a teacher in Christian thinking, um, who wasn't your local minister? You had to send away for tapes or CDs or something. In the last in the last twenty years, you had to go find. It was harder to get their content, but now you know it's all in your phone every single week. You have more to listen to than than ever before, and so now the role of the local leadership, in my opinion, includes curating and making sense of all of this content that's out in the world. You are still their local minister, shepherd, pastor, priest to care for the unique needs of that person in that community, but also, you know, not to be so proud as to assume that you're the best teacher on this topic or idea, that there's probably five brilliant teachings on the book of Ephesians that you could curate, that you have done the work as the 
theological expert to say this is good teaching I would recommend to my people. And then don't reinvent it all the time. You know, serve your people in the way that you uniquely can. And then curate content about other topics that um, you don't have the capacity for or there's someone else who's done it better. It's their expertise. Um, and offer that to your people so that they can help navigate a world with thousands of pieces of content being offered to them every week. And how do you know which ones are worth your time? Well, your local leader can help you with that. I hope in the future, curate some of that content. And then the local church becomes a place of meeting the specific felt needs of that community, um, becomes a place where the human connection, the community side of things, the Bible study, small groups, um, whatever the, the, whatever it looks like in your local church, the, the, um, small group human side of things becomes of utmost importance because the teaching can come from anywhere in the world into the palm of your hand 24 hours a day. Yeah, that's, that is very interesting and a good challenge, I think, to local church leaders to be humble and generous at the same time. And when you say curate and then share, tell me what you mean in the sharing. Would that happen in that Sunday morning slot or is it just like, here's a great video uh, on the church's Facebook feed? Yeah, I mean, I guess it w- it could depend on the community, you know, that maybe it's five best things on the internet this week or this month sent out in an email, you know, if there's email updates coming out from the pastor, the minister, or if if there's a place on the website where, you know, recommended listening and thinking on key issues. For example, there are hot button issues like LGBTQ or something that, that there are people who have, you know, your local church will have a position on this, but may not be um, best able to articulate that position, both on time and capacity, but also, you know, expertise. So there's a position, but they may not be the expert on that position. Well, what would it look like then to find where that is most clearly articulated in your position and then offer that as a page on your website that's, you know, literally hot topics or, you know, here's what we would recommend uh, you listen to on some of these issues. And it doesn't have to be yourself. Now, of course, the challenge of all that, as I say all this, is typically we uh, it depends on the style of church. If you're um, an Anglican church or an, you know, an evangelical church or a, a Presbyterian church, you you hire a different kind of a leader for these different kinds of churches because, you know, some churches, the main thing that they do week to week is prepare a sermon and prepare a message. That's a few days of their week every week. And so you're hiring someone who that is um, their strength. But I think we're seeing more and more that what we need is shepherds. And so that's a challenge if you're the kind of leader who your strength is primarily as a teacher and a leader and maybe the charisma of your personality carries you. But what we really need is someone who loves and cares for people (laughs) uh, and can bring them through the journey of their struggles in life. And, And actually, typically, we don't hire senior leaders who do that very well. And so it's just honestly a a huge challenge in this turnover where people are saying, I can get charismatic and thoughtful and intelligent teaching on YouTube. But like what I actually need is someone to care for me and to someone to notice if I, if I don't show up for a few weeks and, and someone who, when I'm struggling, I could call them and ask them for advice on this issue from a, you know, from a pastoral perspective, someone to pray with me or teach me how to pray. That's what I need. 
I really like that, Joanna. I think, I think that's really hitting on something so important that the uh, the personal and will not go out of style and cannot be supplied right. uh, by someone far, far away. And it, and if nothing else, we have learned that <laughs> you know, even as we got our sound right, we we learned that we really do need each other, most of us, mm-hmm. in a way. Like I, it's been a lonely time for a lot of people. So as churches move forward, and hopefully, you know, we're starting to emerge out of this time a little bit, and let's use as our example a church that had not been previously streaming their services online and learned to do that quickly and hopefully got better at it, and now they are going to be, say, opening up again in the near future. They want to continue doing both. You know, what is the opportunity for them? And going back to your previous point about you know, what works for online doesn't necessarily work in person, but here's, we're going to have average pastor and she's going to be doing the same thing, you know, at the same time. What are some things that people need to keep in mind? Well, I think in all things in life, we have to say yes to one, we have to say the big yes to one thing to say no to a lot of other things. So I don't expect that most churches have the the finances, the capacity to do both really well at the same time, (laughs) because it really is almost like two separate things that you're creating. But maybe, you know, if, if it's simply continuing to, if you hadn't done it before, continuing to post the services, to offer that to people, but it not be, to just be honest and admit that it's not going to be as great as the thing that you experience in person, if but making a decision or making the decision the opposite way that like based on your own community, whatever, you know, whatever metrics you're using to make these decisions as strategies for how to reach people in your community, we're going to lean down. We're going to double down. We've seen the power of this online thing and how it can serve. And we think we have a team that has some savvy to kind of keep this going. And so we're going to offer something in person. But the thing that we record and produce on a Thursday afternoon every week is going to be maybe the the focus of our time and energies. And then the Sunday morning becomes I don't know, something something different, like service light or something. (laughs) But I think that thinking of ways to not lose some of the relationships you've had online, I think some churches will probably go all the way back to nothing online anymore. And that's okay in terms of it's a capacity issue. It's a finance and resource issue for many people. But just keeping in mind, what is your plan? Make a plan and then stick to it. I think it's the exhaustion and the burnout comes when we are trying to be all things to all people at the same time. And that the good news is in a place like Canada, we're so blessed that we have lots of different kinds of churches reaching lots of different kinds of people in lots of different kinds of formats. And so prayerfully seeking the Lord on what he would have you focus on and recognize that there are going to be things that you just don't do as well because you've decided to focus in on the few things that you think you can do well. And if that's back in the you know traditional church service, my encouragement would just be to think of if you are doing that on Sundays, would there be another time, a non-traditional day and time of the week that you could offer a repeat of that? So like it might be a Wednesday night at seven o'clock or I don't know. You'd have to survey within your own community to find if there's a time that makes sense for your people. Or maybe it's a lunchtime thing. You know, people come and join in at lunch. Or, you know, is there something after the services that you do, like a podcast, like the Drive Home podcast, where you have like all the things you couldn't talk about in the service on the Sunday, you can add some notes and insights 
and record that on a podcast to offer to people on the Monday. Um, and it's not as as labor intensive as a full, you know, video live stream service. It's just you just need a microphone <laughs> to post and to post the audio on your website or something. I mean, there's it would, it's it's hard to to be specific because every situation is unique. But I mean, ultimately, my encouragement with any of the, anything digital is you just can't be in all places and do all things. We're not a multi million dollar conglomerate who has the capacity to hire someone to run all these things. And so we have to prayerfully, strategically consider where we think there will be fruit, and then be satisfied and trust the Lord that some other community, some other congregation in our community will serve those other needs. Well, first, let me say I love the drive home podcast idea. Uh, I think mm. that is a really great one. And I do want to talk to uh, with you a little bit about podcasting. But first, let me say what you, what you just said there about not being able to do all things, you know, uh, all things well, certainly reminds me of the good advice, I think, that's given to authors, too, about social media, like, uh, to do what you're good at and to do what you enjoy as opposed yeah. to trying to just rage forward on all channels. So I know part of, I think part of what you do too is consult and give some direction uh, to churches and Christians about social media. So maybe you could share a little bit about that too. If you were talking to uh, a ministry leader or a pastor about social media, is that right that we should just do what we want to do and yeah. not Twitter? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> well, every every year, every year there's some new most popular platform. So, what I what I usually say on the social media side is my advice would be get your real estate on every new platform that you hear comes out. So, by real estate what I mean is the at, so for me it's at Joanna LaFleur. That's where you find me on every platform. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Clubhouse, you're going to find me at Joanna LaFleur. So that's my real estate or that's my my little corner of that social media platform. As soon as as soon as you kind of hear it becoming something that sounds interesting, try and get your name there. And then you can just in the bio just say, "Hi, you know, thanks for checking us out. We spend most of our time on so if you put that on TikTok or Clubhouse or these other newer apps, thanks so much for checking us out. We spend most of our time on Facebook. Find us there." Uh, you know, and you can have a link out to where you actually are so that in the future if Facebook becomes obsolete and it and it's certainly increasingly more used by older generations than younger. So if it becomes obsolete in the future or less strategic in the future, you can move to this new thing because you've always had the real estate there, but uh, you don't have to feel like you have to use it until you're ready to use it. And Or if you have more capacity, like you mentioned Twitter, so maybe you get your Twitter handle, get that little piece of real estate there. But you know, it's okay to say in the bio, we don't actually use this. You can find us wherever you are typically found and where you're active and redirect people there. And then they can still tag you in things. So somebody who's, who, who does use Twitter in your congregation might say, that was a great message or here's a quote from the minister about that thing. And they can tag your church in the post. And then if someone clicked on it, they could find your page. They could see that you're most active on Facebook or Instagram or wherever. And they would still find you without you having to feel like you have to keep it up day to day. It's impossible to do it all. Yeah. So yeah, pick a few that make sense for your congregation. You know, it depends who you're trying to reach. I would never, like if you were a youth pastor, I would say don't bother with Facebook at all. It's a complete waste of your time. Your students aren't there. But um, if you're yeah. reaching an average congregation, Facebook's a great place to be for churches. 
If not, get yourself over to TikTok and make goofy videos. That's it. <laughs> you can do a 30-second preach. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wow, that is uh, – no, I love that advice. I I have not heard anyone say that before, Joanna, so I think that is super helpful to just to – you know, put your sign up and point it to where yes. you are active. And I think that's wonderful advice. Uh, so you also have the Word Made Digital podcast. Tell us about, you have such a wide variety of guests. I would love for our listeners just to hear a little bit about it. And I'm sure this is true for you. It is true for me that when I interview people, I am learning all the time. I mean, I feel so fortunate to be able to ask all my questions <laughs> to yeah. uh, smart people like you today. I mean, I've learned a lot. So what's that like for you? What are you learning and what role is your podcast playing? Yeah, I started the podcast Word Made Digital is a play off of John chapter one, where the word became flesh. I love how Eugene Peterson says it in the message. The word became flesh and blood and and moved into the neighborhood, or the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So what do we do when the word becomes digital, when we have an opportunity to to be incarnational or to be like Christ, to model Christ, to represent Christ in digital spaces? That's the big conversation. So I say that the podcast is for cr- Christian creatives and Christian communicators. So that is a broad scope of people that I interview are like a YouTube, might be a YouTube, Christian YouTube star and a, you know, Inst- Instagram expert, or it might be a graphic designer, might be someone who's thinking about websites, might be someone who's thinking about uh, leadership in, in this digital world, you know, someone who's an author, a speaker, an influencer. So yeah, it is a broad category of People who can talk about what we do, thinking around digital discipleship and evangelism in creative ways. And um, so I've been, we're just coming into our sixth season now. This season's going to focus on the fruit of the spirit because we sure do need more of that with the internet being so angry. So each episode will focus on one of those fruits, interviewing um, people who I hope can speak to those love, joy, peace, patience, all those things. And I mean, I yeah, I started the podcast to learn myself. I was having all these great conversations, but I thought, what if I had a microphone recording these great conversations so that it wouldn't just be me learning that other people could learn too? And that's where it started. It turned out that people wanted to listen. And so it grew from there and and has become part of my work uh, to do this podcast. And and hopefully it gets better. Hopefully I get better at asking questions. <laughs> um, so that's one thing. I'm learning how to interview, learning how to ask questions, learning how to listen. I think one of the things learning is I think the podcast is more interesting when the guests are more diverse. I don't just, I mean diverse, you know, ethically diverse, but diverse in background, diverse in where they are from in the world, diverse in denominational uh, approach. So I find the seasons or the podcasts that I find most interesting are the ones where it's someone who's not like me. I learn the most. So I just interviewed a guy who's sort of a digital and social media expert from India and learning how to connect. You know, it's a country of a billion people, obviously, and with COVID, they've been hit really hard recently with that. But how do you connect, reach, serve, evangelize, disciple in a country that large where even some of the poorest people of the country probably still have a cell phone. And what are we doing about that? I learned so much from that conversation. And it was a totally different perspective um, coming from an expert in India as compared to an expert from America. 
And you know what struck me, Joanna, when you were describing your own learning curve about you know asking questions and listening, I was thinking we're so fortunate now, and I think this applies to everything you've talked about today. We can learn by copying people, <laughs> you know, by listening. Yeah. Like I'm sure you listen to a whole bunch of podcasts. I know I do, yes. and I pay attention to how people are doing their interviewing. And I, you know, think about how they came up with that question, or I, I just watch and listen and hopefully learn. And I think that's true of, I mean, please, this is a question. I correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, advancing digitally, we can watch and learn and be inspired by what other, mm -hmm. other people are doing well, and then figure out how they did it. Yes. And my encouragement to, to Christians would just be don't just don't just learn from other Christians. There's a whole big wide world of experts out there. Learn about why, you know, if there's someone on YouTube or someone who's written a book or someone who everyone's following for one reason or another, or, you know, an ad campaign from Banana Republic. I mean, we can learn from we can learn from everything, everywhere that there are these cues or these little breadcrumbs we can pick up from the world if we choose to come with a teachable spirit. There's much to learn. And there are people who might be a few steps ahead of us in this, but really nobody has all the answers. What we're the word, of course, that everyone's so tired of is unprecedented. This unprecedented time. Nobody knows the whole roadmap, but we might know a few steps ahead. And so, you know, wa watch where other people are. And, and also, it's okay to carve your own path, too, because we're all figuring it out as we go. And there's lots of, oh, there's lots of grace. <laughs> and, and, you know, God, may God's spirit guide us as we do this because, oh, we need help. And he can see what we cannot see. Joanna, thank you so, so much. Oh, it's a privilege. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be with you all today. Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it.